I have no doubt that you're probably familiar with the motto, no pain, no gain. Uh, it's normally used uh, with physical activity. Uh, if you played sports in school or something, you may have seen this somewhere uh, on a, uh, uh, a billboard or poster or whatever in the locker room. But in 1982, this phrase became prominent uh, in, in the part of American culture, when, when Jane Fonda, which I never saw one of her exercise videos, but when Jane Fonda started her exercise videos in 1982, uh, this was a phrase that she would often use, and a phrase that became more and more part of the American culture. But this phrase is not something that is uh, part of the 20th century. Uh, this phrase is not something that's just uh, uh, unique to the American scene. Uh, 18 centuries, 19 centuries uh, prior to Jane Fonda's videos, uh, this phrase, you can find this phrase in written form. Uh, it was used to describe spiritual growth. Uh, in the second century Jewish work, which is called the Ethics of the Fathers, Rabbi Ben, and I guess that's hey, hey, I don't know if that's, you know, like, Remember all Fat, fat Albert? Hey, hey, Fat Albert. Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that it's, I don't sure, I'm sure they're not related, but uh, Rabbi Ben Hey, Hey wrote this, According to the pain is the gain. And he was talking about spiritual growth. Uh, in the 17th century, a poet by the name of Robert Herrick, uh, who is, as you can see, he's a very handsome, handsome guy here. Uh, Robert Herrick uh, wrote this poem. He, he, a version of this saying is there. He says, If little labor... Little are our gains. Man's fate is according to his pains. Uh, in, in, in our culture, in, 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 in America, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, had a form of this uh, when, in his book that he published in 1758 that's entitled The Way to Wealth. And in that book, he, he, he said this, Industry need not wish, and he that lives upon hope will die fasting. In other words, uh, if, if, if your life is wishing and hoping, uh, you're going to starve to death, okay? Uh, if all your life is is wishing and hoping, uh, you, you're, you're going to have a lot of problems. But industry, he says, industry need not wish, and he that lives upon hope will die fasting. Uh, there are no gains without pains. Now, again, this phrase has been around a long time, and in fact, it's a it's a universal it's a, really a universal principle which is vividly seen in the natural world. Uh, you can look at a lot of things in nature, and you can see the fact that that gain is made by pain. I mean, the the thing that comes to my mind immediately is is the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, and as it's breaking out of its cocoon, uh, the pain and the struggle that's there. But yet, that pain and struggle is necessary in order for that butterfly's wings to be uh, uh, strengthened enough so that when uh, that 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 caterpillar has uh, bro- broken free from that, that butterfly is broken free from that. That butterfly is able. Able to, able to fly. And, and so we, we see this principle all throughout nature. Uh, and, 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 and the same holds true for the followers of Jesus Christ. Experiencing gain in Christ-likeness, and in our context as well, gain in eschatological rewards does not occur apart from pain. If I'm going to grow spiritually, if I'm going to mature in Christ, if I'm committed to maturing in Christ... That's a painful experience. It's painful. It's hard. If I'm going to to receive uh, eschatological rewards when I stand before Christ, uh, there's pain that's involved. 
Uh, there, there's pain before the gain. We, we see all that in the book of Hebrews, where, where Jesus was exalted uh, as, as the Son of God, exalted as, as the one upon the throne because of His obedience and during His suffering. And so we see this all throughout. It's in Scripture. It's in nature. Yet, sadly, in spite of the clear evidence, we can read it in the Scriptures. We can see it as we look at God's creation. In spite of the clear evidence that exists, oftentimes believers expect to gain simply because. Because. Well, I'm a believer. I mean, I'm just going to grow. It kind of goes back to that, that saying of, of, of Benjamin Franklin, industry need not wish, and he that lives upon hope will die fasting. Hoping and wishing isn't good enough in the Christian life. Hoping and wishing isn't going to cause your marriage to become strengthened. Hoping and wishing isn't going to uh, cause uh, me to mature in, in the way that God wants me to mature and, and have the influence upon, upon children and grandchildren. Hoping and wishing doesn't make it happen. It simply doesn't make it happen. Yet, yet somehow, uh, at times as believers, we get the idea that I'm a believer. It's all going to work. God is sovereign and it's all going to work out. And so I'll just, I'll just keep on trucking along. But yet, as we look at our text today, we're going to see that hoping and wishing isn't enough. Hoping and wishing simply is not enough. There is, there is no gain without pain. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of this, this discourse of Jesus that, that begins in verse 5. And, and, and in verses 5 and 6 we saw the setting. Uh, they are at the temple. The, the disciples are marveling at the, at the beauty, at, at the craftsmanship uh, that existed in this temple. And, 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 and Jesus then makes that evaluation in verse 6 that kind of just, kind of, it's kind of a gut punch where he says that, that every, every stone that you see, it, it's one day it's, it's, all, it's all going to be gone. It's going to be dust. It's going to be destroyed. And that causes them to ask the question. Again, we told you they're not asking one question because they ask about things plural. When will these things be? And, and, with, and with that question, because in their mind, the destruction of Jerusalem also signaled the end of the age. And so, so they're wanting to know, they, they ask questions regarding the destruction of the temple and the, sign, the signs preceding the end of the age. And in verses 8 through 11, we find Jesus' initial answer. And as he begins to, to, to answer, th- th- these verses basically describe the events that do not signal the end. Jesus gives them a series of events, and, and he tells them that these events do not Signal the end. When you see these things, these things are not indicative of the end. These things are, are not, are not uh, the, 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 the moments before the end occurs. And, and these events we looked at, they include religious deception. They included social and, and civil chaos, international hostilities, and, and natural disasters. And, and, and basically what we come away as we studied this last week is the fact that these... We use the example of COVID-19. Is COVID-19 a sign of the end? No, it's not. It's not. I got, asked, I got that, asked that question again this week. Is, is this the sign of the end? No, it's not. It's not. But what it is, based upon these verses, what it is, it is a foreshadowing. God sends these kind of events. Uh, God sends these kind of events as foreshadows of what end-time chaos looks like. Uh, it's what end-time chaos looks like. 
I mean, it's not what we're experiencing is kind of a a little bit of a taste of what end time chaos is going to look like. Uh, What we're going through is is difficult for some. It's it's, it's more difficult for some than others. It's more difficult in, in, in certain countries than it is for others. But it is a walk in the park compared to what end time chaos is going to look like. It's a picnic compared to what end time chaos looks like. But it, it disturbs us enough. It brings us enough discomfort that God uses it to cause us to think about the end times. That we better make sure, and that's the second thing, God uses this as a warning that end time judgment and destruction are guaranteed. They're guaranteed to come. This is a little of a, bit of a foretaste. It's, it's, it helps us to see that we better not sink our hope and sink our anchor in this world. It, it's enough to kind of get us to see, man, if, if it's if this, this difficult now, what's it going to be like when we truly are at the end of the age, when we're coming to the end of the age? It serves as a foreshadowing, but it also serves as a warning. God is letting us know. Don't get so... I mean, remember six, seven weeks ago? Stock market, high as it ever been. Uh, unemployment was almost non-existent. Uh, all sectors, regardless of where you find your, where you found yourself racially, where you found yourself economically, all boats were rising. All boats were rising. People were doing well. Things were going great. I mean, the world seemed like nothing was going. Nothing, nothing bad can happen to us. And then it just takes a little, little virus, just a little virus. For God to let us know, listen, you better be prepared. You better be prepared. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus next describes something that precedes these non-end events. We'll we'll see that in a moment. And and he tells us what it is, what what precedes these non-end events is persecution. Now, Now, I'll say this now and I'll say it again. This immediately affects the twelve. But there is, but we see that this has been true of the church since the church began on the day of Pentecost. But it immediately affects the twelve, and the point being made is that an aspect of church life is persecution. And an aspect of following Christ is pain. Is pain. And Jesus begins in verses 12 and 13 by addressing purposeful persecution purposeful persecution. In other words, following Jesus is purposefully not easy. Following Jesus is purposefully not easy. One of the things that I miss about what we've gone through is is I enjoy going to DTS's website and and watching their chapel services. Now, there's I mean I don't watch every one, but there's some that I I like watching. I look at it and say I, I really want to listen to them, and and uh, I, I try to listen to one or two a week when uh, during that time. But I always made sure I listened to Chuck Swindoll's. He he preaches at DTS Chapel three to four times a year, and it's usually the the the, the times when they're having like their their day where new students are coming or potential students are coming to check out the check out the school, and when it's when when it's when it's that occasion, invariably he makes this statement: "Seminary is hard. It's meant to be hard because ministry is hard." He makes no apologies. He says, "You come here and it's going to be hard. 
But it's meant to be hard because ministry is hard. Let me, let me kind of paraphrase or reshape that a little bit. Following Jesus is hard. It's meant to be hard. Because life in a broken world, in a sin-cursed world, as we live in sin-cursed bodies, is hard. Life is hard. Life is hard. I, I just, 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 just even now, I'm thinking about just some of the things that, 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 I, that I heard this week of what people are going through. Or shocks that came to their systems or news that just flattened them. Life's hard. Life is hard. It's hard. And following Jesus is purposefully not easy. Verse 12 begins with a sequence marker. Look at what he says. But before all this, before all what? Before all the things that he's been talking about in verses 8 through 11. Before the end time event. Before, before, the, not, before the signs that do not signal the end. And, and so he's, he's talking about the signs that do not before the signs that do not signal the end. In particular, he, he's talking to the twelve here about what's going to happen to them because the next section he's going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. That's going to happen to them prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. So he begins with this with this sequence marker, the sequence marker, marker. But before all this, and then he says, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sakes. He begins with this sequence marker, and then it's followed by a description of persecution. In other words, he says, you guys, you, you, you are going to experience pursuit. They're going to pursue you. They're going to arrest you in, in a variety of hostile situations, both religious, as they appear before synagogues, as they are brought before synagogues there. They're going to be imprisoned, but they're also going to be brought before civil authority as well, not just religious authority, not just, not just the Sanhedrin, not just the synagogues, but they're also going to be brought before kings and before governors. And he's talking about all this is going to happen before the, the, the signs of the end, and all, all, this is going to, all this is going to happen before even the signs of the end. These things are going to happen prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. So he says, let me tell you what you're going to experience. You're you're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience persecution from your fellow Jews. You're going to experience persecution from Gentile government and Gentile authorities. And the reason for this is is, is one reason. The reason this is happening to them, look, look at what the text says again. He says, look at the end of verse 12. For my name's sake. That's why it's happening to you. It is happening to you because of your identification with me. Because of your identification with me. That, that phrase, for my name's sake. Uh, again, the, the, the writer of Acts is, is Luke, who wrote this gospel. In fact, Luke Acts uh, is often viewed as kind of like volume one and volume two. Luke addresses it to the same person, both his gospel and the book of Acts to the same person. And, and in the book of Acts, 17 times, Paul uses that for, or, sorry, Luke uses that phrase, for my name's sake. He's he's stressing the position and the importance of one's allegiance to God, demonstrated by one's identification with Jesus Christ. So he's talking to them that that you're going to go through this for one reason and one reason only. 
because you are identified with me. Cease being identified with me, and that doesn't happen. But because you are identified with me, because you are identified with me, because you are identified as one who follows Jesus, life's going to be hard. You're going to face some difficulties. You're going to face some situations that are hostile. You're going to face some situations where you're going to be brought before religious authorities. You're going to be face some situations where you're going to be brought before uh, 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 civil authorities. And Jesus is letting them know that, that following Him is not easy. It is difficult. But in verse 13, Jesus tells us why. He says it, it's supposed to be difficult. Why? Look at verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. To bear witness. Why is following Jesus difficult? Why do those who follow Jesus and are identified with Jesus experience, are going to experience persecution here? Because persecution provides a unique opportunity. He says, you're going to be drug in. You're going to be brought before kings and governors. You're going to be cast into prison. You're going to be delivered to to the synagogues. You're going to face persecutions. They're going to lay hands on you. But this is, Jesus is saying, God hasn't abandoned you at this time. God is, you're not going through this because God's angry at you. You're going through this because of your identification with me. But there's a purpose in this. There's a purpose in this. And part, one of the purposes of this is the unique opportunity it provides you. It provides you an opportunity. Our, our, the text uh, uh, translates this in the ESV to bear witness. It provides you an opportunity to bear witness. And, and, and what does it mean there, this opportunity to bear witness? Well, when you look at the examples that we find in Scripture, Basically, it's two things. There's two things that this, oper- that, this, that, this, that this purpose of persecution. It gives us an opportunity to explain to humanity our commitment to Jesus. That, that's one of the things it gives us. It gives us that opportunity. Why, 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 why do you continue following Jesus when you're going through something like this? I mean, is, I mean why, why are you allowing this in your life? I thought following Jesus meant that everything's going to be great. I thought following Jesus means that, you, that your life would be carefree and, and, and that you won't have any problems. But man, Jesus isn't Grandpa. Jesus isn't Santa Claus. It gives us an opportunity to explain that, that our Lord and our Savior is worthy and, and, and we love Him and we follow Him. And, and as, as we follow Him... Uh, that, that it, it's not because of what He gives us, it's because of who He is. It's of who He is. And we get opportunities to explain to others about our commitment to Christ when they watch us go through things and difficulties, and persecutions and trials and, and, and hard things. And they watch us respond in a way that they wouldn't respond themselves or they're not expecting a person to respond. And we respond in love. We respond in, in a way that pleases God. We respond with, with patience. We respond with grace. We, res- we respond with truth. We, we, we respond with certainty. We, we respond with conviction. And it blows them away. 
the hard things, the hard things, is what gives us that opportunity to explain, to explain to those our commitment to Jesus. Our commitment to Jesus. But when you look at it, it's not only an opportunity to explain to humanity our commitment to Jesus, it's an opportunity to exemplify to God our commitment to Jesus. You know, we sang about the cross this morning. And uh, as we were singing, as we sing about the cross, we think about God's love for us that's demonstrated on the cross. But there was a love much greater than God's love for us that was demonstrated on the cross. And it was Christ's love for the Father. Christ's love for the Father. That Jesus Christ loved the Father so much that He was willing to follow Him in obedience to the cross. Knowing what He was going to face. Knowing beyond the physical suffering, the fact that He would bear the wrath of God. In the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's not Jesus gritting his teeth and saying, okay, well, I've got to do whatever I've got to do. It's Jesus saying, I trust you. I love you. I submit to you. Not my will. Thine be done. Thine be done. And when we go through those hard times, when we go through those difficult times, and we, go th- we, we may not always get it right. We may doubt. We may trip. We may stumble. But, but we seek forgiveness and we get up. But when we go through those hard times, we are showing to our Heavenly Father how much we love Him. How much we love our Savior. And that though we don't understand it, though we can't figure it out, We trust Him. We trust Him. Not my will, but Thine be done. Ah, Jesus is letting His disciples know here, we need not not fear persecution. We We need not fear hard times. It serves several purposes. More purposes in what we talked about here, but it serves several purposes. But hard times, difficulties, persecution... They serve a purpose. And following Jesus is purposefully. It's not easy. It wasn't designed to be easy. Because no pain, no gain. It's not that God's a masochist. It's not that God's a masochist. But in order to gain, there has to be pain. Since persecution is used by God as an opportunity for testimony. Now again, so mentally I got it, okay? I'm going through this hard time. I'm going through persecution. The twelve are getting ready to walk through some very, very deep. They are expecting the kingdom to be established right in just a few hours as Jesus has entered in Jerusalem. I mean, they're getting, they're getting their, they're deciding exactly where they're going to place their thrones, you know, how, I mean, I'm, I tell you what, Jesus, this is the area I want to rule over. 
Give, I mean, I really, I really like the lowlands, or I really like the mountains, or I, I, I really like this area right here. I mean, they are getting all ready. I mean, they're getting, they're getting their polish out so they can shine up their crown and, and, and getting ready to see how they're going to be addressed as Lord, Lord, and all this different stuff. And Jesus, Jesus is looking at them, and, and if, he, if, he, if he was in Texas, he'd say, bless your hearts, you know, and, and, and say, I mean, you guys have no idea what you're fixing to walk into. Let me tell you. Let me explain to you. And Jesus, Jesus deals with them cognitively. He tells them, here's the purpose. But we are more than just brains. We are more than just what we think. We're also what we feel. It's one thing to know something. But knowing something doesn't take away the hurt of what we walk through. I know the truth. I know the truth, but knowing the truth doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take it away. And Jesus, in verses 14 and 15, addresses the emotional turmoil that they're getting ready to, to walk into. That's going to accompany this persecution. That's going to accompany their hard times. And He comforts them with a challenge and a guarantee. He speaks of peace and provision, a settled heart, and a wise reply. Now now imagine, place yourself in their shoes. Imagine not only the anxiety of being arrested, but knowing the next morning you're going to be hauled before the magistrate, you're going to be hauled before the one, and he's going to question you, and what are you going to say? Because what you say can determine whether or not you live or you die. What do you, would you be up rehearsing it in your mind all night? Well, if you ask me this question, I'm going to answer this way. If you ask me this way, I'm going to answer this way. What are the possible things he could ask me? And, and probably for a lot of us, we would get very little sleep that night. We'd be thinking about all that. We'd be running all the scenarios in our mind. Uh, you know, do I answer... Harshly, do I answer in, in a penitent way? I mean, uh, what, what does this look like? And, and look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 14. He says, settle it therefore in your minds. Literally, settle it in the heart. Settle it in your heart, he says. He says, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. So again, the, 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 a literal understanding, again, that the ESV has chosen to translate it mind here, to settle it in the heart. The idea here is to be resolved or to set your hearts at rest. It combines both our thinking and, and, and both emotionally. But, but the idea is, is there's, this, there's, there's, there's this resolute emotion that our, we're going to set our hearts at rest. And it describes a person. This phrase describes, this phrase a, person describes a person who, who is... Who, who is who, I mean, I mean okay, okay, hang on just a second. Okay, describes a person who is determined uh, and they're free from anxiety... They are free from anxiety. And Jesus is letting them know, don't worry about what you will say when you appear before the authorities. No rehearsal is necessary. Get a good night's sleep. I just finished a book last week by Jeff Robson. From Matthias, published by Matthias Media. Thank God for bedtime. It's a great book on sleep. It's an excellent... On the, on, what is your theology of sleep? 
God intends us to do so because about a third of our life is spent sleeping. And so Jesus, get a good night's rest. Settle it in your heart. Settle it in your heart. Be resolved. Set your heart at rest. Don't worry about, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. How does this occur? How does this occur? Well, he's, mentally, He's given us the truth that God's purpose for persecution is testimony. God's in control. God, God hasn't abandoned you. God is with you during hard times. God is with you during this difficult time. And God is working in your life, and you can use this time as an opportunity to show forth not only your commitment to God, but to explain that commitment to God to others. How that in, in, in a time when, when, when chaos is, is surrounding us, that, that you can be calm. You, you're not fretting. You're not biting your nails down to the nubs. You're not living in fear. Because you know that God has a purpose in this. But not only that, but it's not just God's purpose, but, but also verse 15 unpacks for us God's provision for them. Now again, in this particular moment, he's telling them, listen, settle your hearts. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to say. He says, I want you, I, I want you to get rest. I want you to get rest. He says, don't, worry, don't spend the night worrying and rehearsing. Why? Look what he says in verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You don't need to worry. You don't need to rehearse because at that moment, I will give you what you need to say. Now, he's not talking about preaching here. Okay. Or you just say, okay. I mean, it'd be kind of, you know, okay, what am I going to say Sunday morning? You know, about 10, 29, I get up and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to open my mouth. You fill it and here we go. But he's talking about in this particular, he says, don't worry about it. He says, I'll be with you. And he, he says, I will give you mouth and wisdom. In other words, God is going to give them the words to speak. And not only will he give them the words to speak, but in the latter part of this verse, he lets them know that these words are going to be effective. Because it's going to dumbfound the people that are hearing them. And lo and behold, you know what, you know what Luke does? Dr. Luke does? Go, keep your place there in, in, in Luke 21 and go to Acts chapter 4. Go to Acts chapter 4 because he gives us an example. An example of exactly this happening. The story begins in verse chapter 3 about Peter and John where the lame beggar is at the, at the gate beautiful. And, and, and so uh, they, in ver- chapter 4 and, and verse 1 it says, And as they, that they as Peter and John were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They're, they're, they're at the temple. Just where Jesus has been talking to them about these things. Where he's talking to them about these things. Now they're back at the temple again. Peter and John, and here you have religious authorities coming to them. They're greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. And put them in custody. They're going to lay hands on you. They're going to put you in prison. Until the next day. For it was already evening. Chapter 3 tells us they went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Uh, the ninth, for the ninth hour. The, the hour of prayer the ninth hour. Which would be around about 3 p.m. All this commotion is going on. By the time everything gets settled. It's, it's evening time. The day's over. So they're spending the night in prison. They're spending the night in prison. But many of those who 
Luke then gives us this, this editorial. Uh, but, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Then on the next day, the next day, they spent the night in prison. I wonder if they slept. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, after rehearsing this all night long, then Peter, taking out his notes, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth they identified themselves with Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Boom. There it is. Wow. Right there. Right there. We need not be anxious in times of persecution. If Jesus did that, if God did that for John and Peter, God will do that for me and you because we are the same children like they are. Peter and John ever screw up in their Christian life? Oh, you bet they did. Peter and John ever mess things up? You bet they did. But as they identified themselves with Christ, and as they spent the night in jail, did God stand, did the Spirit of God fill them? Did the Spirit of God give them the things that needed to be said, so much so that it dumbfounded the opposition to where they think, gosh, these guys are just normal people. I mean, they're, they're fishermen. They're fishermen. They work with their hands. They're fishermen. They're not educated. No. They're not like us. But they've been with Jesus. And they couldn't say a thing in opposition. We need not be anxious in times of persecution. And Jesus concludes this section of His discourse by speaking to the realities of the situation. He deals with their... He plants the truth in their mind. He deals with the anxieties of their hearts. And then Jesus says, I'm not going to give you some pie-in-the-sky stuff. I want to talk to you about the realities of the situation. The realities of the situation. And He informs them of the possibilities and promises. The price, protection, and profit of persevering discipleship. In verse 16, he tells them the price. Look at what he says. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. 
he speaks to them about the reality of it. He talks to them about the, the price is division, death, and the fact that they are detested. Look at verse 17. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. They're betrayed by close relatives, so you have division of families. There's possible martyrdom. He says, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to die. Peter will die. James, John's brother, will be the first to die of the twelve. Tradition tells us that Andrew was martyred. They're going to die. Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't candy coat it. He talks to them, deals with them. They understand the truth. He deals with the emotions that they're going to go through. But then he also tells them, this is the reality of it, guys. You're, some of your own family is going to turn on you. There's going to be division. You're going to be betrayed by close relatives. And Jesus is going to experience that in just a few hours when Judas betrays him. Friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And there's, going, there's, going, there's possible martyrdom. Some of you, Jesus, he says, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to die. Some of you they will put to death. Then he talks about the fact that they're going to be detested. You'll be hated by all. And then he tells them why again. For my, here's that phrase again, for my name's sake. For my name's sake. But he not only, only talks, and again, here, here's the possibilities of what's going to happen. Division of family, hate it, and some of you are going to die because of your identification with me. But then he talks them about the protection. Look at verse 18. He says, but. It's a, it's a contrastive conjunction. It's the word chi. Probably, uh, rather than but, maybe a little bit more stronger would be yet. And I, I think that's a better way. I, I think the Net Bible translates it that way. Yet. And, and I think the reason why you have such a strong contraction there, or it should be, is because this verse also includes an emphatic double negative. It's the word, I've got up there for you, ume. If you were to translate that literally, you would say not, not. Not, not. It's not, 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 knock, knock. It's like saying, say toy, say toy boat five times fast. You can't make it. Toy boat, toy. I mean, but say, not, knock, knock, but not, not. Okay? Not, not. It's a double negative. It means never, no, never, no, never. No way possible. For those of us familiar with Spanish, no way, Jose, okay? No way possible that this is going to happen. Was that right, Kendrick? Did I get that Spanish right there? No way, Jose? Okay. Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 no way possible that this could happen. And so when you look at the text again, he says, he, he talks to him, he says, but not a hair, but no way possible will a hair of your head perish. So it begins with this contractive junction, yet no way possible. It includes this emphatic double negative. But yet when we read this, yet no way possible a hair of your head will perish. Wait a second. Did he not just say in the two previous verses that some of you are going to die? And if I die, my hair is going to perish. Now I know after you die, your hair continues to grow for a little while. I mean, I understand that. But, but, but you know, I'm going to die. So, so what's... What do I make of this? Well, there's two possibilities. It could be that Jesus is saying that most believers will not experience martyrdom. And that is the case. Most believers will not die for their faith. 
We still experience hard times, but we don't die for our faith. Or it can mean that while martyrdom is a possibility, those identified with Christ are secure. In other words, persecution and even the experience of death cannot separate me from the presence of power of God. You ask me, which one do do I hold to? Honestly, I think it's both. And the reason why I think it's both is because the previous verses to that speak primarily to physical, some type of of, of physical persecution, some type of possibility of physical death. But the verse that follows after that, he begins to talk about eschatological things. So I think when Jesus says, he says, listen, but most of you are not going to die. Some of you will, but most of you don't. But regardless whether you die or you don't die, when you go through difficulties, when you go through persecution, when you go through hard things, no matter what happens to you, it cannot separate you from me. Whatever circumstance you go through, even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it will not separate you from me. And that brings us to the prophet. The prophet, not P-H-E-T, but F-I-T. The prophet of persevering faith in times of persecution. Look at verse 19. But by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Endurance, perseverance, and discipleship leads to gain. What gain? He says you're going to gain your life. Again, there, there's debate on that, depending on how far on the reform scale you want to, you want to fall. But I think, again, just a few days earlier, Jesus spoke to them about the parable of the minyas and the fact that, that I think the, the minya represented their, their life and what God, had, that God has given you a life and what are you doing with the opportunities that God has given you in life. And I, I think he's going back to that. He's, 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 he's tying them back to that parable that he just recently spoke, that, that, that the gaining of your life is a greater experience of life in the kingdom. We get to, to rule and reign with Christ in the kingdom. We get to have additional responsibility and authority in the kingdom. That when we, when we persevere, when we persevere in time, when he, as he tells these 12, if you persevere in times of persecution, if you persevere when things are hard, he says, you'll gain your life. You'll gain your There will be gain. You're experiencing the pain of life in a broken world. Experiencing the pain of life in, in, with, that is, where sin has touched everything, where sin has touched us and where sin has corrupted us and where sin has corrupted everything else around us. And, and we go through difficulties and we go through hard times. And we go th- but if we will continue to persevere, it's meant to be hard. Following Jesus is not easy. It is meant to be hard. But as we follow Him and as we persevere and as we recognize in our mind the things that Christ has told us about the fact that, he, that He's with us, that He won't leave us, as we recognize our hearts, that, 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 we, that, God, that the Spirit of God will give us exactly what we don't need to fret, we don't need to fear, He will give us exactly what we need in the moment that we need it. And we continue to persevere. We will experience gain. I think some in this life, but I think primarily what He's talking about in verse 19 is the life to come. We experience gain. Pain now, gain later. Gain later. And while, as we said earlier, these verses apply directly to the twelve, and they occur prior to the fall of Jerusalem, I think they also apply to the church age as a whole. It's kind of the history of the church. Following Jesus isn't easy. It's not meant to be easy. 
or to kind of use the terminology that Swindoll uses, following Jesus is hard. It's meant to be hard. Because life's hard. Life's hard. But with the pain comes the gain when we stand before Him. When we stand before Him. Experiencing gain as a Christian doesn't happen to us just because. Just because hoping and wishing doesn't make it happen. To experience the gain of verse 19, we must submit and apply ourselves to the pain of verses 12 through 18. It means we've got to, our minds, we've got to think right about the situations that we find ourselves in, the hard experiences that we go through. It means we've got to deal with our emotions. We're, we're not robots. We are, we are flesh and blood. We are human beings. We, we have emotions. Jesus had emotions. And we have to deal with them. We don't approach it like Mr. Spock. We have to deal with the, with the hurt and the disappointment and the, and the frustration and, and the desire to just throw our hands up and, and, and quit because it seems like we're not making any progress. We deal with that. We, we, we look at the realities of the situation. We're, we're honest about the realities of the situation. It might not change. Things might not be different. In fact, they might even get worse. How are we going to deal with it? How will we deal with it? The opportunities that it presents to not only to show our love for God, our, our, to exemplify to God our love and commitment to Him, but the opportunities to explain to those around us the wonder of our Savior and who Jesus is and why we are committed to Him. Why we are committed to Him. Let me ask you. Let me ask me. Are we persevering through the painful difficulties of following Jesus? And there's times we do, there's times we don't. But we have to commit ourselves to do this. If we're waiting, if our hearts are continually crying out for things to get easy. And I, want, I don't want a hard life. I'm not, I don't wake up every morning and say, Come on, Jesus, bring it on. Let's make, it, let's make today as hard as it can possibly be. I, don't want, I mean, I don't like hard things. I don't like hard things. But that doesn't take away the fact that there's times when life is just really, 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 really hard. You moms with young kids, life's hard. But you, but you moms that have kids that are older, <laughs> life's hard too. It doesn't end when they leave the house. Life's still hard. Life's hard when you're young. The temptations of youth and Life's hard when you're old. I'm not there yet, but one day I'll find out what those temptations are, okay? Life's hard. Life's difficult. But we persevere. We persevere. We ask God for the grace to help us to persevere through the pain. Listen, a call to salvation, you know this, a call to salvation is not a call to a prosperous, successful earthly existence. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen. And that doesn't mean that God cannot provide in wondrous ways. And that doesn't mean that we live every day of our life with no enjoyment. I, and I want to enjoy, I want to squeeze every amount of enjoyment out of each day that I can squeeze. That's why I, Lord willing, as long as I can drive, I will always own a convertible. For me, that there is no, there, there, there's very few things that is to bring, bring greater joy to me. There are things that do. But there's nothing like Lisa and I getting in that car 
and just driving. Just driving. We, we have different tastes in music, so sometimes that can be a little contentious. But, 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 but we, we drive. And just, just enjoy it. I'm not saying that the life for the Christian is one where you look like you've sucked on a lemon all day. But a call to salvation is not a call to a prosperous, successful, earthly existence. Yet for so many people, that's what they think following Jesus is. They, they set their goals for, for the year. Uh, I'm, I'm going you know, to fatten up my 401k this much, and I, I'm going to do this here. And I'm going to experience health and prosperity. And, all, and I'm thinking, what about all the other things? If it's not a call to prosperity, successful, earthly existence, what is it? It's a call to follow Jesus in the pain of the obedience to the Father. I think Jesus laughed. I think he laughed a lot. I can't find any more in Scripture. But I think he did. I think he did. But right now, right now, a lot of our life involves pain. It involves pain. And we are called to follow Jesus in the pain of obedience to the Father. May God give us the grace and strength and in His mercy, give us the ability to do that. That He would give us the grace to persevere through the pain of following Jesus. Because when He does, when He does, I, I think about this week. I'm going to talk to you about a couple books that, that I've read that, that uh, I think will be a blessing to you. One, one of them is called, it's, it's called A Praying Life. And I'll give you the book and the author and stuff. But it's not about... It is not about how to improve your prayer time. It's about how to have a life that's characterized by prayer. And it's changed, it, it's changed the way I pray. I had all the theological stuff down. Maybe not all of it, a lot of it. But basically the premise of this book is, God's your father, you're his child, talk to him that way. Talk to him that way. Just talk to him that way. And I find myself talking to him now more than I ever did. All throughout the day. All throughout the day. Wake up. And I'll pray, God. And I talk to him like my grandchildren. Talk to me. Baba? Baba, will you buy, Baba, will you buy me a... <laughs> will, you buy, will you buy me a dirt bike? I said, no, but let's figure out how we can get you one. And I was talking to Cash and said, well, let's, let's, let's do our research. Let's find out how, one, how much one costs. So we got online. And we spent about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and we kind of found what he wanted. It's going to be about 500 bucks. I said, how much money you got? Well, I got like $7 right now. I said, okay. I said, you're getting ready to get some money here for this and you're getting ready to have your birthday. And you're getting ready to have, have, how bad do you want this thing? Let's start saving. Well, he had some special occasions here this week while he was here, and, and now he's got about, got about 100 bucks. And I said, okay, you're getting there. You're getting there. In fact, he said, <laughs> he, he said to Grant, he said, you know, Grant, we're here to celebrate. And he said, what we're celebrating. You're here to, we're here to celebrate this. Grant said, yeah, no, Congratulations. He said, where's my money? 
Now, if an adult said that to us, what? We'd get offended, wouldn't we? But a child? That's just a child. And Grant said, you know what? I'm going to give him 20 bucks. I'm going to give him the 20 bucks. You know, I think he asked for 20. I think, I think he asked for some. He said, where's my $20? You know? and, and he said, I'm going to give him 20 bucks. Why? Because in childlike faith, he asked. He just asked. Our God, I know, I know life's hard. I know it's hard. And I need to quit rambling. I need to shut up. I know life's hard. And I know life's difficult. But we are called to follow him in a pain of obedience. And it is an extraordinary journey. It is an extraordinary journey of ups and downs and highs and lows. But when you do and when you walk in obedience to him, there is a joy. There is a, an excitement that, Lord, I, I think this past week, I'm just talking to the Lord and, and situation comes up, and I said, God, gosh, you've got you to help me on this because I know where I'm headed. You know what? You've got to help me. And boom, he does. And I'm thinking, wow. Wow. Lord, thank you. Thank you. You did this in my life. You did this in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the blessing and the hope and the comfort and the courage and the enablement and the strength and the discipline and the admonition and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that you bestow upon us day after day after day after day. Lord, help us to recognize that following you is not easy. It wasn't, it's not meant to be easy. But it is worth it. God, give us the grace that we need to persevere in the pain of following you. So that when we stand before you, when our lives are judged, Lord, that we'll hear you say, well done. You've been faithful. Here's your reward. Lord, we pray for those who are in the midst of really, really difficult times right now. Difficult temptations. Their emotions are being pulled in so many different ways. Their thinking is, they're, they're, it's, it's just, it's being constantly bombarded in their thinking. Father, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen them, that you'd bring your spirit, Lord, to bear upon their lives and to, and to help them and to, to draw them to you. And Lord, that you would bring people into their lives that would be a godly influence to them. And, and Father, that, that whatever anxiety they're feeling, whatever, whatever helplessness they may be experiencing, Lord, that they will turn to you and find the strength. It, it doesn't alleviate the situation. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that the, the, the problem is now candy-coated because you're... You deal with us in reality. You don't, you don't deal with us in, in fairy tale land. You deal with us in the realities of life. And, and it's not that the realities of life become easy. It's, it's that you, you are there with us. You walk through us. You, you carry us. You enable us to live in a way that demonstrates our love and commitment to you and to demonstrate that love and commitment towards you to other people to where they, they, they wonder. They wonder. 
They, they see a difference in how we walk through the difficulties of life on this earth. Strengthen us, we pray, Father, so that you would be lifted up, you would be magnified, you would be glorified. The majesty and beauty of who you are would shine bright as a sun. No, no clouds would, would veil your glory. But the glory of who you are would be vividly seen and just overwhelming and overpowering. Thank you, Father, for your word and for its help to us. Thank you that it not only deals with our minds, but it deals with our emotions. It deals with the totality of who we are. We commit ourselves to you this day. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We just want to give you an opportunity to, to talk to the Lord. Whatever your need is, or it might be to thank Him. It might be to cry out to Him for a need you might have. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that, that's the only way you can have a relationship with God is through, through His Son. That's why He sent His Son. He lived the life you can never live and died the way that you could never die because He died bearing the wrath of God upon Him so that you and I might have forgiveness of our sins. When we cry out to Him in, in, in repentance and faith and ask Him, ask you to make us acceptable to you through what your Son has done for us. The Spirit of God changes us and changes our heart and we become a new creation in God and we have a new relationship with you. If you've never done that, we want to encourage you to cry out to Him today. If you're not sure, contact us. We'd be happy to talk with you about it and deal with any questions. But we want to give you a few moments, a time of silence, and then we'll close out our service today. Father, thank you again for this day and for the wonder of who you are. Thank you for your word that by your spirit that takes us out of the miry clay and sets our feet on solid ground. Lord, we thank you for just your loving mercy to us. Be with us this week the responsibilities and the things that we have before us. Help us, Father, to live in a way that pleases you as we submit to your work of grace in our lives joyfully. And when it's not joyful, that we'll, um, we'll grow in that as well. We ask now, Father, your blessings upon the rest of this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you corporately. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Hope and pray that the Lord will use His Word to encourage you. Take some time to encourage each other this week. Uh, be safe, be careful, be wise, and uh, we will see you, Lord willing, next time again. Again, Wednesday night we'll be doing our Zoom. Uh, you should be getting an invitation on that. Usually it comes out on Wednesday. Uh, we continue our uh, study through the uh, New Testament, New Testament survey. And then those of you in the young adult Bible class, again, we'll be doing our, our Zoom study tonight at 7 o'clock. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. And uh, thank you for being here again. Uh, if you have an offering, the plate's there at the back. 
and uh, we will see you, Lord willing, next time. Thank you. God bless.